This is Florida Matters, I'm Matthew Petty. Three weeks out from election day, we're going to check in with a growing part of the electorate, young voters. As part of WUSF's Democracy 2022 coverage, we held a listening session a couple weeks back where we asked you to share your thoughts on the election, the democratic process, and how it's reported by the media. We invited participants in that listening session to talk with us on Florida Matters, and later in the show we'll hear from Adam and Stephanie about why they vote. First, though, the long road to recovery continues after Hurricane Ian. In Charlotte County, the power's on, most schools are back, and parks are reopening. But getting the internet fully restored has been a challenge. Charlotte County Communications Director Brian Gleason, who I spoke to via Zoom, says the county had to get creative while the internet was down. For a while, we were publishing five or 6,000 flyers a day to distribute printed copies of information out mm-hmm. to folks who were at our pods and uh, at the Department of Health and anywhere people were gathering, the FEMA uh, registration site at the mall. So we were distributing you know, thousands of copies of this daily resource guide to folks who didn't have any other way to get information. We published ads in the, in the newspaper. We did radio appearances in the mornings. The first week we did more than 40 television interviews. And uh, so it was a big outreach effort. You know, the internet being down for a lot of people just meant that we had to use some old school channels. Gleason says Xfinity's restored about 90% of its internet customers in Charlotte County, but there are still some outages, and as you'll hear later in the show, residents are turning to public library Wi-Fi for work and other necessities. Gleason says the county's focus is on getting infrastructure like street signs and traffic lights fixed and clearing the massive amounts of debris left behind. You know, the stores are opening, the gas stations are opening, We've closed down our points of distribution for essential supplies like food and water. The medical uh, front is getting better. The uh, 911 calls were running about twice the normal rate for a couple of weeks after the hurricane. Uh, and now we've got all four of the hospitals that serve Charlotte County are back up and running, including Fawcett Memorial, uh, which was evacuated during the storm and suffered some flooding with a roof failure. Water got into that and they had to evacuate. The two urgent care centers that we had operating here as part of the um, assistance we've been receiving, the disaster medical uh, assistance team that the Health and Human Services stood up, they're going to shut down tomorrow. The National Medical Corps, which operated an ur- urgent care center at a couple locations in Charlotte County, their final um, location is going to close down on Friday. What about things like just the debris recovery or the debris pickup, because there's there's a lot, I mean, across the state, and it's going to take a while to get that all collected. How's it looking in Charlotte County? Right now, uh, we expect to have about 2 million cubic feet of debris. And uh, right now, we have collected more than 400,000 cubic yards of debris, about uh, 5,500 loads in the week or so that we've started collecting debris. If you piled that 10 feet high, it would fill 17 football fields. There's not an area of the county that's not impacted. There's 80,000 uh, street signs that are either damaged or the poles are bent. Every single one of our traffic lights had some sort of damage, and we still have some intersections that are still not lighted, and I have to do a four-way stop uh, situation or close off one or two ingress or egress points for the intersection just because not everybody plays nice after a storm and everyone's a little frustrated and you know in a hurry. And uh, we were seeing collisions at intersections at a very high rate until the traffic lights came back on. Do you have a sense, Brian, of how many people county-wide are, uh, have been displaced from their homes and how long they're likely to be out? 
We have a shelter open for displaced residents that has about 70 people in it right now. We've got some weather coming in this afternoon that is going to potentially show some folks that their homes aren't quite as watertight as they might have thought. You know, if we get some more intrusion into some homes, then you might start seeing some water damage. Anytime uh, water comes inside a home, it means you're a candidate for mold, and that's that's an automatic, you know, you got to get out. Um, it's not healthy to be in a home that has you know, mold growing in the drywall. And that that kind of situation creates a you know, almost a gut job for whatever room has the mold growing in the drywall, uh, and it just spreads until you take it out. So those folks who are in those situations, they may find that they have a housing crisis now 18 days after the storm that uh, they thought they could ride it out, but you know, all of a sudden now they're finding out their home wasn't as watertight as they thought it was. How long is that shelter going to stay open for, do you think? Is that like an indefinite situation? It's not determined right now. As long as there's a need, then it'll be open. We've got caseworkers that are assigned to individuals, so you help them work through their FEMA assistance requests. Some of those folks will get temporary housing assistance from FEMA. The issue with that is that's typically in the form of a hotel voucher, and there's not a whole lot of hotel rooms available in Southwest Florida with yeah. all the recovery workers in town and other folks who, who've already snapped up those rooms. So there was some concern that people would be moved so far away from home that they would have to burn through gasoline and time just to come back and, and get their stuff together and start rebuilding their lives. So that's a real burden for, for some folks. The county is working on a plan right now to allow people to put RVs or trailers on their property. Mm-hmm. What is the focus going to be for the county, Brian, in the next few weeks? And what do you need people to know? Like, what are the, the biggest concerns? What what information do you want people to, to hear right now? Right now, uh, the big topic of conversation is debris. People have done a lot of their own work. They've got their debris out to the curb, whether it's construction and demolition debris or, you know, pool cages and lanais. They've got it all stacked and sorted, the vegetative debris. We want them to know we're on it and we will pick up all the debris. We've already opened up two additional debris sites. If you want to put the debris in your pickup truck or your trailer and take it to those sites, there's one in South County on Florida Street, and there's one in West County on Placida Road at the Placida boat ramp, in addition to the two mini transfer stations that are open on uh, Kenilworth in Port Charlotte and on Environmental Way in Englewood. So there's four locations where people can drop off the debris People don't care how the debris goes away. Even if they have to haul it themselves, they just want it out so they don't have that constant reminder of how their lives got turned upside down. Charlotte County Communications Director Brian Gleason. We turn now to Grace Banahan, a reporter with Fresh Take Florida, a new service of the University of Florida's College of Journalism. Banahan travelled to the Punta Gorda Charlotte Library and reported on how residents are turning to the public library for internet service in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. I spoke to a lot of people who recently in the past couple of years have transitioned to full-time remote work, which hadn't been a problem. And for a couple of people, it even allowed them to relocate down to Florida, mm-hmm. which was a great opportunity. But now without you know the, the internet infrastructure because of the storm, they had to miss work for close to two weeks. So when I went to the library and I came back reporting, it was kind of, I think it was maybe 12 days after the storm hit. So a lot of people were really just trying to get back to work and trying to get back to some sense of normal in their lives. So what I saw was a lot of people just really getting creative in order to make 
their their work happen. Mm -hmm. How was the library helping give them that sense of normalcy or stability in the chaos of that hurricane aftermath? The library was great. It was it's funny because when you walk in, it was just people everywhere and there's so many people. But the library staff was just, you know, they were just operating as if it was normal. They were operating on increased staff. I think they were up eight or nine people than what they do on a normal basis. They were helping everyone navigate library systems. They were helping people fill out insurance forms they had. It was something with the Blue Roof by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Oh, you mean Operation Blue Roof? Yeah, so they had that set up in one of the meeting rooms, and they were directing people towards there if you needed to get your house tarped, which was a good program they were offering. One of the things that struck me about your story was one of the people you spoke to talked about the fact that he needed to leave at a certain time just so he could watch his Seattle Mariners game, right? So I think kind of a sense of even amongst all of this chaos and uncertainty, there's some certainty in sports, right? Oh, yeah. That was really funny to me as well. Um, Just the way that, you know, when you have dedication to even a sports team, the things you'll do, like because this terrible tragedy has happened with the hurricane, you know, there's still things in your life that you want to like rely on, you want to get back to. I think, you know, it's really a lot about resilience. As well as the increased hours and having more staff on site to cope with the demand, you also reported that there'd been a surge in enrollments in library cards. Could you talk a little bit about that? There was, I think you said 250 new signups in the past six or seven days, which is close to what they see in a month. Mm -hmm. So that was good. Uh, The librarians were trying to really quantify, you know, this influx of people. And so that's how we got the number of, you know, triple their normal operating load. And have you had some feedback on your reporting since the story was published? People were saying, oh, I didn't know that, or this is something, an extra resource I know is out there and I can use it to help me kind of get through this next phase. Not so much after I published the story, but it was funny. Definitely as I was going around interviewing, I was asking people, you know, oh, you know, did you go with the blue roofs or, you know, have you heard about your, have you gotten your house tarped? And within the library, people were sharing resources like, oh, you know, I didn't know that. So there was a lot of communication between people, especially between strangers. You would see, you know, someone lean over to help somebody else fill out an insurance claim, or there was a lot of communication within the library. It really was just an interesting energy. And it it was a really interesting scene to see, you know, so many people in a library because I've grown up going to public libraries all the time. It was definitely cool to see it being used at close to full capacity. Well, Grace Spanahan is a reporter with Fresh Take Florida, a new service out of the University of Florida's College of Journalism. She was reporting on how Charlotte County residents are turning to the library for internet service in the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. And you can find a link to Grace Banahan's reporting on our website, wusfnews.org. Still to come, young voters share their thoughts about the election, the value of democracy, and what elected leaders, candidates for office, and the media should do to win their trust. Back after this. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. As part of WUSF's Democracy 2022 coverage, we're asking you to share your thoughts on the election and the democratic process. A couple of weeks back, we held a listening session. That community engagement effort is part of our work with America Amplified, supported by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. We invited attendees at the listening session to talk with us on Florida Matters, and today we'll hear from two young voters, Adam and Stephanie, who are students at St. Petersburg College. They asked to be identified only by their first names. They talked about voting, issues that matter to them, and what it'll take for elected officials, candidates, and the media to win their trust. 
Adam says he's been voting since 2011 and hasn't missed an election. Can you talk a little bit about your experience of elections and voting? What's that been like so far? I've been voting now the past 11 years, since 2011. So I've never missed an election. I'm very passionate about voting. I have been very deeply involved in politics. I love politics in general, all the way up until more recently, just kind of tuckered out with the entire thing, fed up with the way that things have been going in general. I, I That doesn't mean I'm not voting. I, I've, again, I'll never miss an election, but there's more to life than politics. And it, it's very hard to kind of feel that way over the last four plus years, that there's anything else going on in this world aside from it. So in general, I'll continue voting, but uh, I'm very disinterested in being as involved as I used to be because it's not, it seems to have gotten somewhat unprofessional on all sides in terms of how things are handled and people get informed. So when did that, when did that experience change? Sounds like when you say you're tuckered out by your experience, like what was it that caused you to sort of become a little bit disillusioned, if that's the right word. I would say this this last year especially, the way that things have gone, well, I'll, I'll put it this way. I used to, I used to run multiple social media accounts, uh, both right and left-leaning accounts, just to, to get more informed myself, get what the talking points were, the feelings of other people, why they felt the way that they did so I could get a really good insight into how people felt about things. Uh, I was involved in many political group chats with friends and others, just to, again, same thing, uh, discuss politics in general, uh, things that I've, I've done for many years as, as a voter. And it's, it's just gotten to the point where everybody's just tired of the way that things have gone. It's become very difficult to find media sources that, report truly unbiased viewpoints just just give the facts and nothing more there's a lot left out no matter how unbiased a a media organization claims to be there doesn't seem to be any left at this point with the way that things have gone Uh, the shift that we've seen during the last presidency and, and where we are now and the continuing shift that we continue to see is just it makes it very difficult to take media seriously at this point, and it's unfortunate. So I just kind of turn to sites and uh, sources that do nothing from their standpoint, like the Le- the League of Women Voters, Ballotpedia, places that you just see what it is that that's offered, very bare bones type stuff. But it sounds as though you're not completely turned off of the political process, right? You're still going to keep voting. So you've been able to set some boundaries around your consumption of media or just the way you get information about political things yeah i'll I'll never stop voting no matter how wonky things get it's not gonna ever stop me from going to the polls and making sure that i i take my time to vote what about your level of trust with political leaders do you do you feel like you can trust what elected officials or people campaigning are telling you Absolutely not. <laughs> it even even well before now. There's always many promises that are made by any politician, no matter who who it is, what side they're on, uh, and you don't see those promises being fulfilled in a lot of cases. Politicians will say what's going to get them the votes that they need to the people, those demographics uh, that that they know that they're going to get those votes from. 
uh, and then they're just going to do what they want to do and please the people who are going to fund their campaigns as much as they can once they're elected. Not saying that that's all in all always what's going to happen. You will see politicians that are going to try to fulfill the promises they make. I think some people have their heads in the right space. Uh, but once you have that position, you are under so much pressure to keep it. If you're going to be running for reelection, you will do things that you typically would not do or say things that you typically would not say to try and make sure you get those votes because that's what you need to continue holding that position. And, and if it means throwing some things out there that you may not necessarily believe or you're not 100% behind or you don't intend on fulfilling, if that means getting reelected, that's what politicians are going to do. What do you think political leaders should do to gain more of your trust? Fulfill the promises that they make. Be transparent about the things that you're bringing forth. Pursue legislation in an honest manner. When you, when you see the bills that we're passing at a national level, these legislative bills that we're putting forward are so misrepresented in terms of what it is that they're, what they contain. When you say, oh, this is the Feed All Children in Schools Act for, that we're pursuing, let's just, just for, for sake of making this easy to understand, and then you look in that bill and you're seeing uh, money going to all these other companies that have nothing to do with feeding kids in schools, that's dishonest. And then you've got one side saying, oh, they're voting against feeding kids in schools, when in reality they're, they're protesting what's in this bill. Um, and you're telling people that's what's in this bill when it's not. There, there's, from my standpoint, doing what it is you say you're doing, putting in the legislation that you're trying to pass, what you're actually saying is in that legislation and nothing more. Uh, that's what can be done from my standpoint to gain trust is is being transparent and, and doing exactly what it is you say you're doing without trying to please the powers that be. Uh, that are going to give you the funding that you need to continue your campaign and please uh, those that kind of have a, a hold on your interests within your, your political realm. And just finally, Adam, what about the media? What do you think the media could do differently to get you more engaged with what they're putting out, uh, make you trust them a little more? At this point in time, I think the damage has been done it's it's going to take a long, long time and, and kind of a proven track record of unbiased reporting. I, there's not a single place that I feel like I could turn to at this point that says uh, we're really working hard on, on showing you that we're unbiased and just take their word for it. I would sooner just years from now maybe look and see what those things look like. Uh, there are watch groups that, that will tell you kind of how how unbiased media organizations would be, I'd, I'd sooner trust their word than I would any media company in terms of how unbiased they claim their reporting is at this point. My, my trust is gone in every single media organization. Where I used to love turning to every single one, not necessarily because they were unbiased, but knowing that I could I'd trust that I'm going to get all sides of everything, especially more unbiased bodies such as NPR. I used to listen to you guys all the time. Uh, I've got you set on my my number one button in my in my car on my radio. I, I don't even feel like I could turn to that at this point. That trust, I think, on everybody has been lost over the last four or five years. If I could just flip that on its head for a moment, though, do you do you think that just means that you're taking more of a critical look? Does that just mean that you're a, a better informed voter because you realize that nobody can be completely unbiased? 
Yes, I would say so. But but more so now than before. I think we got to a point where a lot of people's emotions and personal opinions were kind of infiltrating the way that reporting was going where it wasn't before. I mean, it sure was in terms of biases, but from an unbiased standpoint, places that would be more unbiased, it, it even kind of infiltrated those areas as well. So yes, more informed in terms of knowing those limitations and where they stand at this point, but greatly disappointed that I, I there's nowhere that I could really turn at this point where I used to, to know that if I want to get kind of a more professional, unbiased, straightforward report of what's going on with something, that's that's just been lost. Is there anything else you'd like to add about your approach to politics or the election in general? I would just emphasize that that regardless of how people feel in this moment and where we, we are now with politics and how messy things have been for people who are just getting to the age where they can vote, regardless of how you feel or how broken you may think the system is or how biased you think these sources are, it is still amazingly important to take the time to go and vote. Whether you can make it to the polls or you have to do it via mail, whatever it takes, don't let how messy things have gotten and how ugly politics have become keep you from voting. Your vote matters and you 100% should always take the time to vote in every single election by whatever means necessary. Adam, thanks for your time. Absolutely, thank you. That's St. Petersburg College student Adam. Turning now to Stephanie, also a St. Petersburg College student, who's been voting since turning 18 six years ago. So Stephanie, tell me about your experience of elections and voting. What's that been so far? So I've been voting since, you know, I've been legal since 18. It's been a great experience. I think that the sensation of being able to go and vote, especially in person, has been very liberating and just nice to be able to be heard. I do think that um, personally, it's been a journey for me because in the past, I voted without fully having 100% knowledge on what I'm voting against or what I'm voting in favor of. So that's something that I've actually tried to push myself into becoming more aware of what exactly I'm voting for and taking a stance on things that I truly believe in. So what are you going to be thinking about as you head into the ballot box this November? What issues are important to you? For me, something really important this election is the importance of being heard, especially as a female and Hispanic background. I think that being heard is one of the most important things. And also abortion. I really think that that's a sensitive topic when it comes to politics. And I would really like to hear someone say, we hear our female voters. We understand what you go through. And this is how we're going to be able to help you. Where do you go to learn about candidates? What's your source of information? I usually will start with a simple Google search and look at all the news articles that come through and from there dive into, okay, this is a reliable source and this is not a reliable source. I try to minimize my social media 
feedback because it is very easy to indulge into what social media has to say, but it's not a reliable source, but it's something that we constantly see, especially in this generation. And on that, I mean, what kind of conversations are you having with your friends about politics or what are you hearing from your peers about the political process, issues that are important to them? Something I've noticed, especially talking with my friends, is that they really take into account what is posted on social media. They will turn their point of view after one simple post and they they will think that that is the correct answer to everything and when someone tries to bring up a news article for example or a interview that was done on tv they're kind of taken aback because they're like oh well I didn't see that because that wasn't posted on social media because only one side is usually showed on social media so that's something that I've been navigating to also kind of see how to start that conversation without offending someone and being or telling them, hey, listen, just so you know, that's only one point of view. Can we actually talk about the whole situation? And for yourself, what's your level of trust, would you say, in the political system and democracy in general? Sadly, it's very low. And the only reason why I say that it's because I hear a lot of things but I do not see a lot of action. There's a lot of talk, no action. Do I think that it can change? Definitely. And that's my hope, which is why I participate in these conversations. And I was so excited today because I do think that there is change possible. I do believe that our government in this country can change. And I would like to see that, especially for young adults. What do you think elected officials or people campaigning for office and the media in general, media organizations should do differently to improve your level of trust? I would say that they should just be honest and if they're going to be able to make a certain change and they speak on that change, I think that they should do it. I think that they should interact with the community demonstrate that they are who they say they are and that they're going to make that change. It does seem like from some of the folks we've talked to, there's a bit of a level of distrust, but you haven't been sort of turned off the political process. Like, would you think there's a point you might say, I've had enough, I'm not going to vote anymore? Hopefully not. I would really not like to see that happen. Sorry. The reason why I keep voting and I keep pushing myself to do that, especially I like going in person. This year, I'm not going to do it in person, sadly. But the reason why I keep going is because I want my voice heard, even if it's just myself that wants to push harder for things to become better. I think that it's better for one person in this world to try to make a change than to try not to. All right, Stephanie, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. That was St. Petersburg College student Stephanie, who we invited to talk to us about voting and the democratic process on Florida Matters after she took part in a WUSF listening session, part of our Democracy 2022 coverage. And WUSF is hosting another listening session this Wednesday night. Details about the virtual listening session on our website, wusfnews.org. 
That's our show for this week. You can find us online at wusfnews.org or via Facebook or Twitter. Search for Florida Matters. Denora Prevost is our producer. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.